So happy Lord's Day. Uh, my name is Joel. Any of you greet us online? Welcome to Heart City Church. Anybody here excited that it's Christmas? Amen. Amen. We're going to conclude our Isaiah series with chapter 9, a prophecy first given to the nation of Judah. Now, I suspect you have likely seen verse 6 on a Christmas card. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You will hear that verse in a new light if you understand the darkness in which it was first proclaimed. I want to help us to take in Judah's situation with a comparable one that a man faced uh, 30 years ago. On the Tennessee River, they've created a lake called Nickajack above a hydroelectric power plant. The water is maintained at 635 feet above sea level, and it has produced many underwater caves, caves which happen to be temptations to underwater fishermen. On August, one August evening in 1992, David Gant and a buddy chose to break the law, and not for the first time. Ignoring the warning signs, they swam under the fence to get the fish that got away. David had speared a giant catfish the night before and they were on a recovery mission that would take them further and further into the darkness. When David's air tank began to run low, he signaled his buddy that they needed to leave. So they swam back in the direction they thought would lead them out. But when they rose to the surface, they didn't find the Tennessee night sky. Rather, they found rock-hard cave wall ceiling in a flooded passage. After a rapid exchange of signals, they swam still lower in the direction they hoped was out, but when they swam back up, still no sky, only rock. Now they began to panic, began to swim more fiercely, which stirred up the mud and silt at the bottom of the cave floor, and now they had zero visibility their lights became totally useless. Unable to see, they lost each other and swam off in different directions. The buddy managed to find his way out, but not David. He actually swam in even deeper. When David's air ran out, he surfaced to find himself in a cave, a cave with a pocket of air eight inches tall. There he was, no way out in total blackness, and each and every breath he's taking is reducing the amount of remaining oxygen. Can you imagine being in this crisis, helpless and hopeless, lost and all alone, slowly suffocating, dying in darkness, no way out, and knowing that you had put yourself in that situation? If that was you, wouldn't you rejoice to hear that there is an incredible rescue mission underway to save your life? Welcome, my friends, to Isaiah chapter 9. Now hear the word of our God. For there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, 
on them has light shown. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, will you rend the heavens and come down? even now that we may see our risen Lord Jesus and also marvel over the word becoming flesh. Leave none of us unchanged, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. Friends, today we celebrate one of the two most important holy days on the Christian calendar, Christmas, the birth of Jesus who came to save his people. Remarkably, Isaiah announced it 700 years before it happened, in a day when all was darkness and gloom. Here's the situation in Isaiah's day. The Old Testament church was refusing to trust in God. There was still a faithful remnant, of course, but as a whole, they were trusting in everything else. There's a national emergency. We heard about it last night. A threat, an invasion from Syria and Ephraim coming. Did they turn to God? No. They made an alliance with evil Assyria, who took their money and now is about to attack them. The prophet Isaiah, he had put up warning sign after warning sign, but they refused to listen. And in fact, because they didn't like his message, they turned to witches for answers. Their king Ahaz, you know what he did? He shut the temple doors so no one could go in, and he set up foreign, false altars for foreign gods. Isn't it scary? how quickly we can get lost in the darkness when we turn away from God. Isaiah 8 ends with these words, thick darkness. And in fact, I'll mention Isaiah, or Ahaz, King Ahaz, he was even sacrificing his own sons at this point. Thick darkness. Judah finds himself where David Gant did. In overwhelming darkness, in great distress, and it was nobody's fault but theirs. They had rejected God. They had ignored God's warning. So let me ask you, chapter 8 ends that way. How would you expect God to answer as you turn the page to chapter 9? What do you expect God's response to be to these rotten, evil rebels? Would you expect this? Good Christian men rejoice. With heart and soul and voice, now ye hear of endless bliss. Joy, joy, Jesus Christ was born for this. He has opened the heavenly door and man is blessed forevermore. Christ was born for this. Christ was born for this. 
That song is actually a good paraphrase of turning the page to chapter 9. Are you shocked? Joy and heaven make no sense if you look at us and if we deserve God's gift of Christ at Christmas. But the gospel tells us to look at who God is when we ask the question, why did Jesus come? Why do we rejoice at Jesus' birth? Because Christians understand how disabled, how destitute, how distressed we were before he came. Christians do not think that we are better people than our neighbors. We don't celebrate being righteous. We celebrate being rescued. If we think there's a naughty list, guess what? We're the first to say, I'm on it. (laughs) We have not lived for good. We have not loved our God. If you're a not yet Christian, that is something you need to understand. We're all born in sin and we all choose to sin. Our world is full of misery. Things trending the wrong way. We become accustomed to disappointment, don't we? And we disappoint ourselves. Has anybody here loved God like we should? The one who created us? No. Bad news. Yet, God still sends his son to rescue us. Good news. This is gospel 101, but we have to keep coming back to it again and again. Because doesn't God's grace to us seem just too shocking to be true? Don't we first tend to look for reasons in us for the good news? But the moment you start to look for good reasons within you for why you receive God's grace, you've actually forgotten what the gospel is. Good news for sinners. All the reasons for Christ's coming to save us are found in God alone. Now, you might have thought that I sang a song that was only appropriate after Christ's coming. But did you notice the tenses in this passage? We're all past tense. It's called the prophetic perfect. Isaiah got to hop into the time machine to see where history was heading. And Isaiah is looking back and telling those in darkness who have yet to see, Rejoice! God guarantees your gloom will be turned to glory. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The northern regions, they're actually the ones that are going to be first hit when the Assyrian invasion comes. And Galilee is like the worst place. You don't want to be there when invasion's coming. It's kind of like Ukraine, you know, stuck in between Asia and Europe. So anytime a bad player rises up, guess what? They're the first to get bulldozed. And their people get devastated. Do you see what God's saying in this first verse? I'm going to start with those who are the worst off. God's salvation strategy starts with the shocked and the shamed. He sets his sight on the sight of the greatest sorrow, the greatest suffering, the greatest stress. Where did Jesus begin his ministry? In Galilee, Matthew 4. In Matthew 5, Jesus preaches the greatest sermon in history, the Sermon on the Mount, which began as what? Good news for the poor in spirit, for those who mourn, for the meek, for those who hunger. I know that's good news for somebody here. If you've known much struggle, if you've been run over, if you've faced failure again and again in your life, You have a God who chooses to enter into the deepest darkness, the worst places. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Have you ever been in total darkness? Jamie and I went to Blue Springs Cavern once. It's the longest subterranean river in the United States. You go down into this deep cavern where tour guides on boats take you into the deepest part of the earth. You keep going and going into the darkness and you start discovering things you never knew existed, like strange fish with no eyeballs. And we arrived finally at this place where you can go no farther. And our guide said, I'm going to turn off the lights now and I want everybody to be really quiet so you can feel what real darkness is about. During the next 30 seconds, I experienced what utter darkness is. I'm doing this in front of my face, nothing. I was thinking, wow, how awful it would be to have to stay for a long time in such a place. And at that point, our guide thought it would be funny to slam his life preserver against the side of a metal boat, making a noise that normally would not impress, but miles deep inside a cave reverberates with a sound that's really indescribable. And he turned on his flashlight at the same time, left us all kind of just blinking. That sound would have scared the pants off of me, but that light made all the difference. As my eyes adjusted, I saw the smiling face of our tour guide. As you face the light of God, you will see his smiling face as your eyes begin to adjust if you're willing to turn to him. And you'll begin to see your gloom trans transformed into glory. Verse 3 you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Take this verse in. This is like joy to the superlative. It's joy to the world. Isaiah seems numerical growth. The nation being multiplied. See, basically the lights come on and look who's at the party. Faces like ours, red and yellow, black and white. We're all precious in God's sight. Gentiles are now made part of God's people. You notice the harvest language, they've been brought in. Notice the victory language, as basically Satan's spoil is divvied up. But the joy is not only over souls saved and gifts given, they're rejoicing over who is with them. God, the gift giver, is there with them. And we may be asking, how can all this be? In verses 4 and 5, we have a couple of four statements that can explain how this can be. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Hmm. Pause on these graphic pictures. These striking scenes come right before the birth announcement. For us, a child is born. Anybody ever seen a Christmas card that included verses 4 and 5? You ever get a card that has pictures of smashed slavery hardware and blood-soaked garments? <laughs> Merry Christmas. Of course not. The closest we get to Christmas violin is that tragic incident, you know, that involved our grandmother and a reindeer. I mean, 
That's about all we get. Friends, we need graphic pictures like this. We need to pause and meditate because this explains why this baby's coming means so much. This child, he will deal once and for all with the awful realities that we see in our world. This would actually send a shiver up the spines of Isaiah's original audience. Remember, they're former slaves. A nation that was beat down, that was oppressed for 400 years under an awful tyrant, Pharaoh. They felt the prod of the rod, the bar that marred, the yoke that broke. Can you imagine the PTSD after 400 years of the awfulest, cruelest slavery? We need these pictures too because we're victims and slaves of our own rat race here in America, aren't we? Many of us, we find from our own past, we're still bound up in fear. Some of us are still slaves to patterns of sin that we keep falling back into and our families fall back into. I know some of us are so callous that we can't feel that we can't feel anymore. And you want to be free, and I want to be free. We want to be free, don't we? And God says in verse 4, Rejoice, your liberation has been accomplished. Everything that has ever anguished, anguished you in your life will be smashed to bits. Just like the day of Midian. What's that, Joel? The day when Gideon's 300 came down and smashed an army that was like 100,000. 300 men. And what would have followed Gideon's triumph? Well, the burning of all these bloody war clothes. But verse 5 is actually a final picture. It's actually the closing scene of our human history, which has been a bloodbath. A day when all the bullies who terrorize and prey on the weak, they will be defeated. All those instruments that so scare us, that hurt and destroy, machine guns, tanks, missiles, atomic weapons, destroyed. All the big shots with our huge armies who Satan has rallied, they're all going to be utterly defeated and crushed. All these massive war machines. Of course, the question we're wondering now is, well, what kind of superpower is God going to use you know, to defeat this huge host, all these forces of evil? For to us a child is born. <laughs> to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Forces of evil all lined up here on this side and on the battlefield coming from the other direction totters <laughs> a little baby boy. <laughs> Have you ever thought about how humbling this is? God says, okay, watch what I can do with a baby. A baby. I mean, you expect the God of angel armies to provide something a little more intimidating for these forces of evil. But instead, out peeks the face of a little baby. God's saying, I'm going to do more through him than you could possibly imagine. God's so powerful. 
that he can overcome by becoming vulnerable, relatable, which we see because he's going to be a human being like us. Yet there's far more to this baby as we hear this is a really unique birth announcement. First, because birth announcements, they're usually sent out after a baby's born, right? Hey, everybody, baby born. Not before. And then this baby's incredible future is already all laid out for him. The first thing we read is how the government's going to be upon his shoulder. That's a really strange picture, a government on the shoulder. Most rulers, they wear, you know, a standard. They wear a crown or a royal scepter, you know, in their hands. But this one takes it on his shoulder. What is this child going to take upon his shoulder? What do we ever hear Jesus taking upon his shoulder? The cross. The cross. He takes what we cannot possibly bear. All of our sin. All of our shame. He takes upon his shoulder. And that same cross continues to free men to serve him in his kingdom. Do you know the freedom of the cross that is given to all who simply believe what he accomplished with it? Let me tell you about this child who became all we will ever need. He's a wonderful counselor. And wonderful carries with it a sense of the supernatural. God once asked a barren Sarah, is there anything too hard, too wonderful for God? And the answer to that is no. And a 90-year-old woman is impregnated. A 90-year-old dead womb becomes a sanctuary of life. Can you imagine if that happened on the news? A 90-year-old woman becoming pregnant. And our counselor, he gives us more than coping mechanisms to those who feel they are barren, to those who grieve. He shines the light for those who grope in darkness, those folks who fake smiles so well, who try to keep people at bay, who try to heal themselves. No, this counselor says, open your heart to me and I will begin to heal you. He's also mighty. A warrior God is the term here. God's saying, were you impressed with the 300 men of Gideon who with clay pots and trumpets defeated an army of 100,000? No. This baby is going to rout all of God's enemies as he casts out all the darkness. And he will be everlasting father. Oh, this, this is a head scratcher here. Wait a minute. Jesus is the son. God is the father. Is he having an identity crisis here? No. This simply means that Jesus takes us in. Jesus said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. John 14, 18. We are the children that the Father gave to him. We read about that in Hebrews 12, or Hebrews 2, verse 13. He's not just our Father, he's our Prince of Peace. Shalom. This really is the climax. Because the best that you and I have ever experienced is simply absence of war, times when we're not fighting each other. But that's not peace. Remember Jesus' words, my peace I give to you, not like the world gives, my peace. And God's peace, his shalom, it's health, it's inner tranquility, it's wholeness. It's such wholeness that it doesn't only bless you, but it overflows out to bless everyone else. But this Prince of Peace, he must first go to war. 
and be victorious. But the wonderful thing is after Jesus wins, it's not that he says, I win, you lose. No, Jesus says, I win, you win. Even as he conquers you. (laughs) Anybody here had to be conquered by Jesus? Don't some of us need Jesus to conquer us right now? Though we know it would be just so much easier to lay down our weapons. And yet, but Jesus wants and he will bring shalom to men who have no shalom. We see what's happened in the last 2,000 years since he came. We have seen the start of his increase of his government and of peace. As throughout history and across the globe, folks are finding peace with God. They are bowing the knee to the Davidic king. We talked about this a few weeks ago. We may not see it in America. We're trending the wrong way, but there is global revival happening in the South. And if you look the last century and a half, more people have come to Jesus Christ than in the whole history of mankind. You don't have a century that can hold a candle to the last century, and it's continuing in the global South. It's wonderful what God is doing. Why does God do this? Well, don't look at your half-heartedness, your distractedness right now, maybe even, your fearfulness. You just have to keep your eyes on your zealous God and who he is. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. I love this verse. You see, it's not the Lord will save you. The Lord of hosts will save you. No, it is the zeal of the Lord of hosts. You see, God is an emotional God, the God who is love. Why will you be saved? Why will we be saying to one another, hey, how'd you get into heaven? Oh, you worked so hard and did it. No, it's because of his zeal. Your great comfort, friends, is that God loves you more than you love him. That is your great comfort. That God loves you more than you have loved him. This word zeal is actually connected to passion, even jealousy. It's used in Proverbs 6.34 to speak of a husband's jealous love for his bride. Song of Solomon Chapter 8, verse 6, it is love burning in the hearts of a bride and a groom. Jesus was actually filled with zeal when he fashioned a whip, right? To drive out the money changers in his father's house. It's a word that tells us about the heart of our God that burns for us and will fight for us. Friends, God is passionate about your salvation. Unwilling to simply leave you to die in the darkness. Which is, by the way, I left... David Ganther for quite a while, haven't I? <laughs> Treading water with eight inches of air. Actually, in that story, the authorities had very little hope that he was alive, much less that he could be found. I mean, these caverns go forever. But the emergency services coordinator was so moved by the prayers of David Gant's family and also by an experienced cave diver who pleaded that they consider this to be an active rescue. He went ahead and requested that the Tennessee Valley Authority lower the lake by 14 inches. Now, I know that doesn't sound like very much, but that was nearly 4 billion gallons of water. 4 billion gallons of water. It was actually the last inch and a half that made all the difference in the world. Gant's story actually has a gospel-like ending as suddenly he felt a mysterious wind blow into his cave giving him new life. And then a rescue team, they had just the time they needed to find him. And when David Gant saw the bright lights coming into the darkness after having been there for so long, 
he actually asked the rescuers if they were angels who had come to take him away. You see, he had rightly lost all hope of mankind's ability or his own ability to save himself. As should each one of us. As incredible the magnitude of transferring four billion gallons of water to save a poor man in a cavern, it is nothing compared to the magnitude of the divine becoming a man in a manger. A man in a manger in order to transfer perhaps billions of people into glory to be with him forever. I suspect we tend to focus on the cross when we think of salvation to sinners, but we need not bypass the crib for the sake of the cross. You see, both are gifts that we need to unwrap over and over again each day of our lives. You realize Jesus' flesh and blood life began and ended with him in darkness, laid out on hard wood, gasping for air. The crib in Bethlehem is not where we think, oh, how cute, and wait for Jesus to grow up. No. The crib was the awesome first step of the Son of Man's descent into our darkness to rescue us. One that we should marvel about, and as I close, one we should also seek to share with others. I want to say I'm encouraged that some of us have been praying for the lost. I prayed with actually many of you this week, and we can trust the Spirit is at work blowing Let's now share the true meaning of Christmas with some others and do it with joy, with a smile. Tell your friend that a child has been born to him or to her. They probably aren't expecting. (laughs) The shepherds weren't expecting, were they? But this news prompted them to begin to search, to see. There are folks we work with, go to school with, who we'll see over the holidays, who are living for this world, are caught up in this world, And one day, every last bit of what they're living for right now is going to be taken away. That's the reality. They're going to have nothing. But God says he has a plan to snatch them out of darkness, away from the enemy. And we can have joy and we get the privilege of taking part in this plan. The greatest rescue mission in all of human history to save friends, family, neighbors, So share with them what it means that Jesus Christ was born for this. Invite them to church and not indifferently. Don't invite them to church indifferently. Tell them it would mean so much if they would join you and go to church. Be part of the rescue team that shines the light of Jesus into dark places. Pray and invite someone to join you to adore the God child. As Glenn Scrivener says, go ahead and invite them. Your neighbors will say no to 100% of the invitations that you don't extend. Your odds can only go up. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we would stare into the wonder of what you have done for the hope you have given us despite all of our darkness. We are encouraged to come because you sent to us your Son, to be a son born to us. How marvelous our Lord Jesus appears in our eyes as you point us to his grace in his own words in the scripture. I want to pray that as we come to you this Christmas, as we rejoice in all this season means for us as individuals and families and as a church family, 
We pray that something of the sheer grandeur and completeness of our Savior will break in upon our souls and thrill us and thrill us anew and only increase like his government does. Hear us, bless us, we pray in Jesus our Savior's name. Amen.